Amen. Now, the world is filled with shiny objects. And these shiny objects can steal your attention from more important things. Uh, you know, it was just a few weeks ago that uh, myself and two of my boys, we went up to Lake Silverwood. And uh, I, I rented this little, um, this little boat, and we went out on the water. And uh, so we went fishing. So we took some poles, and we took all kinds of bait. I mean, we, we did. We had um, a little lures that were shiny and uh, you could troll with. And we had some really stinky bait um, for the catfish. And then we had these little uh, red balls that are little eggs that you put on your hook. Uh, we had even night crawlers. I mean, you name it. We were just going to, we, we were going to catch something, right? And um, by the end of the day, um, all we caught was, um, was one little tease by one fish in a certain area. But, but it was fun because we had, any day fishing is better than a day at the office is what I read on a bumper sticker once, right? So we went out fishing, but we know that fish are attracted to certain things. And uh, these shiny objects, sometimes it's interesting, but these shiny objects that kind of twirl in the water are attractive to certain kinds of fish. Um, the enemy knows what it is that you're attracted to. And unlike us, many times he'll be very patient and he'll dangle that lure in front of you until at some point you become so weak that you bite it. Hook, line, and sinker. Well, the world is full of these shiny objects. And one can remain occupied with things that are insignificant for long periods of time. And when you get bored with that one, there are plenty of other insignificant things that can take the place of the previous ins insignificant thing that seemed to work to prevent you from getting to the actual significant thing that you should have been focused on to begin with. Don't let less significant things prevent you from doing the most significant things in your life. Have you ever spent a whole day on the shiny things? And by the end of the day, you think, how did I allow myself to do that? I remember years ago when I was going through uh, a dive school in Panama City, Florida, and I bought the, uh, the what is it, N64, I guess it was at that point. It was, a, it was a, again, you know, just a few years ago. And uh, it was actually 91. 91, and I, and I bought that game system. And um, I bought one game. I think it came with it. Um, was it um, with Bowser and... Mario World? Is that what it is? Mario. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, Mario took all of my time. And I found myself in a dark room playing these games and trying to beat it, all the levels, like for hours. I, I was there. If I wasn't doing homework and, and like focusing on my classroom work, then that's what I was doing. I was just like fully consumed, occupied by it. But at some point, I realized what I was doing. Well, I beat the game, so that was good. Right, <clears throat> but I realized that I'm like, well, what am I doing? I'm wasting all of my time in this room playing this game. There's so much more to do in Panama City, Florida, right? 
And so, um, you know, I started doing other stuff. But you get to the end of a day sometimes and you think, how? What in the world did I accomplish today? Don't, less, don't let less significant things prevent you from doing the most significant things in your life. Christians enter this battle daily. And sometimes this battle is moment by moment as the world battles for your attention. But more than the world battles for your attention, the flesh, the world, and Satan can keep you from doing the things that please the Lord. And he will be the one that keeps you on that path that pleases the Lord. But those other things will keep you on this path that pleases self and sometimes pleases others at the expense of the Lord. Just busy with other things. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You see, as you read the Bible, you get these warnings. You, you seem to get an understanding of what's happening with these situations, these days that seem to be wasted. Well, there's a battle for your time. And your flesh, the world, and Satan are battling against the Spirit to take that time, and instead of redeeming it for the glory of God, you waste it for the sake of the flesh and others. This is why it's important to be sober-minded. In other words, be serious, sensible, and solemn, being self-controlled. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we can be people of the word, but occupied by many other things. And I'm asking you this morning to consider how the Apostle Paul was a man occupied by the word that did other things. And this was and is the better place to be as a Christ follower. This is the very place that we ought to be. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he told them that he didn't want to get wrapped up in the worldly things that they were wrapped up in, nor get inundated with the problems they were having. They were having plenty of problems, but rather remain focused on the gospel. That was his desire. That was the main thing. So he wanted to keep the main thing the main thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he writes to the Corinthians saying, and I remind you, this is the very place where he's at right now in our study in Acts chapter 18. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It do us well to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, often as we deal with so many things around us and be reminded of that very mind that the Apostle Paul had. For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is not to say that Paul didn't have other things, other issues to deal with. But he kept the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing for us as Christians? Well, we've been commissioned to do really two things. Evangelize and disciple evangelize, and disciple. Those are the only two things that we've been really commanded to do other than, you know, of course, obey his commandments. But as we do that, what we're doing is we're demonstrating a love to the Lord, number one. Number two, we're demonstrating a love toward others. That's what we're doing. 
So let's see what a man occupied by the word, not the world, looks like. He was occupied to witness, he was occupied to teach, and he occupied faced opposition. Verse 1 once more says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So this was what he was given to. He was occupied with the word to witness. So Paul leaves Athens, and he travels approximately 42 miles west to Corinth. Corinth was a harbor city. Uh, It was an important commercial center with two harbors. So it didn't have just one harbor, but two harbors, and it was an important city of trade. Now, it was the most Roman city as it was destroyed, uh, the more, uh, one of the, the most Roman cities within Greece. Uh, it was destroyed back in 146 BC, and then it was rebuilt by Julius Caesar a hundred years later. So that's why many of the monuments to the Greek gods were still there. In fact, they were erected at the time of the Apostle Paul. Um, but it was also the most Roman city, as you see, Julius Caesar had rebuilt it again a hundred years after it had been destroyed. As in Athens, the religion of the Corinthians was primarily the traditional Greek gods. The temple of Aphrodite, goddess of love, commanded the city from its perch on the Acrocorinth, which was, um, it, it was elevated, uh, it, it was at a 1,900-foot elevation, and it dominated the city from its perimeter. So you could see this from anywhere within the city. And then close to the Agora, which we learned, uh, I believe it was last week or the week before, the Agora is the marketplace. Uh, Close to the Agora, there was the Temple of Apollo. Uh, The Temple of Apollo, Apollo is the sun god and the patron god of the city. There was also the Temple of Asclepius, the Greek god of healing. And there were rivers and waters that were located around that temple that were thought to bring healing to the people. Now, Corinth was also known for its sexual immorality, so much so so that it was common to refer to a prostitute anywhere in the world as a quote-unquote Corinthian companion. Or if you're fornicating, then you were acting like a Corinthian. This was a common practice because of the worship of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, or... Uh, You could say the goddess of fertility and sexuality. But we also know in the midst of all of this that there was a Jewish settlement. So you can imagine this very worldly city, the city of commerce, city of trade, that in the midst of it all, there was a Jewish settlement because there was a synagogue into which Paul made his way. And in this synagogue, Paul would go to debate, to reason with the Jews regarding the scriptures and to testify of Jesus Christ, who we know from times past, the cities that he's gone to, to declare that he has risen from the grave. Now, let's back up a bit, though, because upon arriving in Corinth, the Apostle Paul met up with a couple whose names were Aquila and Priscilla. She is also known as Priscilla, so you'll see that name 
um, throughout the New Testament. These two were originally from Pontus, which is across the pond, you could say, and uh, in the area of Asia, today's Turkey, uh, in the region of Galatia. Now, they had been in Italy, so this is what we have here. They had been in Italy, uh, but because Claudius had commanded that all Jews leave Rome, uh, they traveled across the sea and came to Corinth in Greece. So you have Italy, you have Greece, and then you have Asia. And so this tells us that they were originally from Galatia. Uh, they were Jews, so they were from Galatia. They were Jews, not far from Tarsus, from where Paul originated from. So just south of where this couple was from was where Paul was from. And all of them were tent makers, which means it simply were, uh, means that they worked with leather. Paul was welcomed by Aquila and Priscilla into their home, and he stayed with them while he was there in that, uh, that city, and, and Paul worked with them. So he stayed with them, worked with them. They spent a lot of time together, and he was able to minister to them. Now, it's implied that this couple were believers, but it could also be possible that they were Jews who were led to Christ by the Apostle Paul because they had a, a few things in common. You know, they had the similar background around the same area. They were from the same, same area, and uh, they were tent makers. So all of these things, sometimes that commonality, just, uh, you know, you, you get to know someone and you feel comfortable with them. And uh, they were very hospitable and welcomed Paul into their home. And it could have been that that was the moment to where, as they spent time together, that they were led to the Lord. But either way, we know that they came to be Christians, and Paul enjoyed fellowship with them while he stayed in their home and worked with them. Now, although Paul enjoyed the fellowship and worked with them, please notice one thing, because here's the thing with Paul, is... He was a man who was not afraid of work. The man worked, and he worked hard. The man was not afraid of opposition. He faced much opposition. In fact, we know that he was even, he was even stoned to death, right? And the man, as I call him, I call him the bulldog of Christianity, because here was a man who would go to great lengths or any lengths to continue to advance the gospel throughout the world. And uh, here was a man who was left for dead, and yet as he got back up, he went back into the city, and then the next day he left. He was a man who was unstoppable. Until the Lord was going to call him home, he was all about Christ, and that was it. There was no stopping him. So here was a man who enjoyed some work and some good fellowship. But although Paul worked with this couple, notice that he never missed an opportunity to go to the synagogue and reason with those there. Notice that he never missed an opportunity to persuade the Greeks and the Jews by reasoning with them from the scripture and explaining and proving that the Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, and that it was necessary for him to suffer, die, and rise from the dead, and that through him salvation would be known. You know, I must ask the question. You know, I know that there are men and women who are hard workers among us, right? 
But how often have you allowed work to keep you from fellowship, to keep you perhaps on a regular basis from coming together and serving the Lord? You know, think about what, what it is that, that draws you away, sometimes much less. You know, it's, for the Apostle Paul, not even his occupation would keep him from gathering together, uh, from going and ministering to others, serving the Lord. Really, that's the bottom line. Um, I am I'm not someone who speaks from theory, speaks from opinion. I, I'm not a man who has not uh, had his own business and, in fact, um, done two at a time and so on and so forth. I had my own business for, for 10 years. Uh, I, would, I would work around my ministry. That's what I, I, have, I, I can stand here with great confidence and tell you I've never allowed my work to get in the way of serving the Lord. It just won't work that way. You see, I take my cues from people like Paul. I, I want to follow an example like him. And I remember many a days to where we'd come and, and we'd be up late. You know how refuge is. We like to eat and fellowship and just like hang out for long periods of time, right? You guys okay with me? Shall we all stand and uh, take a breath? No. No, it was, that's, that's how we, and then after that, listen, after that, I remember going sometimes later than I had expected to go because I had a commercial pressure washing business and I would go and go pressure wash. You know, whatever stores I had an account with and, and I'd go. I'd be there a little later, but I'd just stay later and that was it. What is it to lose a little sleep? You know, not much. What would you do? Again, let's take our cues from what we have before us in scripture. As much as it, you know, we can do we need to make Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 a priority. You know, if God says it's important, then we ought to do everything possible to gather together, to worship the Lord, and stir each other up to love and good works, right? Regardless of what our opinion is, because there are those, you might be uncomfortable even right now with what I'm saying, right? But quite honestly, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because the word is preferred. The word is the one that should govern us and come before us. We should never be occupied with our occupation. We should be occupied with the word of God and bringing him glory. Because even the apostle Paul to the Philippians, he writes, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That means everything about us. Every, every moment of every day that we have breath is for the glory of God. For me to live is what? In fact, we studied that on Monday, right, men? We studied that, and that, that, was, that was something that we studied. How would you end that? Because that was, that was part of our study. We had to write down, um, for to me to live is, and you fill in the blank. If it's anything other than Christ then 
what we need to do is, is have the Lord examine our hearts and make sure that at some point we could with great confidence say, for to me, to live is Christ. He also, again, and I said this earlier, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was a man who was not going to allow anything to get in his way of living for Christ and to do those things which please God. Paul worked his tent making around his service to God, and his service to God was provided by his work. You see, the Apostle Paul understood who gave him the ability to do what he was doing. Who gave him the opportunity to, quote-unquote, tent make? Consider that. Who gave you the ability to provide for your family? Who gave you the ability to do what you do? Glorify him. Bless him. And I tell you, our family has been blessed over the years, and I believe it's in part because we've just honored the Lord. I've never been fearful of not having the Lord provide for us. The Lord has been faithful through and through. Paul's occupation was not his ministry, although he ministered within his occupation. It served his ministry to the Lord, and I'm sure he ministered as he had opportunity. Paul's occupation was tent making, but tent making did not occupy Paul. So he was occupied to witness. He was also occupied to teach. Verse 5, as we continue, says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent from now on, I will go. Uh, I, I am innocent from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Paul and Silas, they finally arrived from Berea. Remember that uh, Paul had called for them and they, they finally reached them. They all gathered together. But Paul, at this moment, even though they came, it's, it, we, we know nothing more than him being occupied by the word. Yeah, Paul and Silas came. That's wonderful. Or uh, uh, Silas and Timothy. But even at that time, what was emphasized is Paul was occupied with the word. No matter what was before him, he was occupied with the word. Again, we see Paul's life described as being focused on testifying of Christ to the Jews. But they, of course, as we see here, they, re they had come to a place to where they fully rejected Christ. Now, Paul at this point did not insist on continuing to witness to them, but he did tell them that at this point, you have heard everything. You have heard the gospel. You are now fully accountable for the, for the knowledge that you have and the, that which is coming because of the 
your rejection of Jesus Christ. In other words, the consequences of you remaining in your sin is condemnation. But it's not because of anything or anyone other than you rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they rejected Christ, they rejected salvation. Now, we also need to understand that Paul did not abandon the Jews fully. At this point, he didn't turn his back on the Jews. He just focused his attention on the Gentiles regarding evangelism. But we'll see how it is that the Apostle Paul still goes and he ministers to the Jews. And of course, his heart is for his Jews, for, for his countrymen, for those that he uh, grew up loving, uh, under whose um, uh, the, the people themselves uh, knowing that salvation has come from the Jews. So he still ministered to them. He sh still shared the gospel with them, but he didn't focus on them quite as much as he did before. Now, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, the Christians in Philippi had sent some financial help to the Apostle Paul. And because of this, he was able to focus solely on building the church in Corinth. And so he stayed there, there a year and a half, and he spent his time there teaching the Corinthians, in building up the church. So Paul not only witnessed, but he also taught the word. Paul's stance in the truth led to the salvation of Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. Well, wait a minute, wasn't there another ruler? And the answer is yes, there was a previous ruler there in uh, Corinth. Um, actually, I get ahead of myself. Crispus is the current... Uh, uh, ruler of the synagogue, and then another one will come. But at this point, Crispus, get this, the ruler of the synagogue with his entire household uh, comes to faith, and they all get saved. It says here that also that many other Corinthians came to believe and were baptized. So again, Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth evangelizing, teaching, and building up the church. But as we continue to read on through that section it appears that Paul needed some encouragement. He needed some encouragement by the Lord, and he received that encouragement. In verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And so we see here that at night the Lord came in a vision, and spoke to him these very comforting, very encouraging words. And so it's implied that Paul was fearful. Now here was a man who seemed to be afraid of nothing. And yet it's implied that he was fearful. You know that those who appear to be fearless aren't without fear. But in spite of fear, they continue to move forward. They continue to advance. And that is why we have men and women who are courageous, for it would not be courageous if you faced no opposition and had no fear. That, that's not called courage, right? But courage is acting in spite of fear, continuing to move forward. So the Apostle Paul was fearful. We consider the environment that he was in, the number of people coming to faith, so the city that he was in, the number of people that were coming to faith, becoming Christians, being saved, and the opposition, no doubt, was growing because of that. And so Paul did not leave, but he continued to, to teach. 
he continued to evangelize. Many Christians are silenced in our day because of opposition. Um, think of two questions, why and how? Why and how? Maybe your company policy doesn't allow it. But let me ask you this. Do they have a biblical right to keep you from worshiping Jesus Christ? Do they really have the power to stop you from doing and following through with that which God has commanded you to do? You know who gives them that power? Have they really been allowed to muzzle Christians or have we been so passive that we've allowed them to do it? Think about what Paul endured. Think about what Silas and Timothy endured. Think about what Jesus endured on your behalf. I think about someone who was persecuted for their faith. Someone that was an employee of a company and would put on the bottom of the correspondence that they would send out, God bless you, and then would put their name. And this person was approached and was told that this was not to happen anymore. This was not like, do not invoke the name of the Lord. Uh, do not put God bless you on any of your correspondence. Uh, this is just not something that we're going to uh, allow within this company. Well, what that person did, I mean, she, she was grieved in her heart. But at the same time, that didn't stop her. She basically started her own company. And she puts whatever she wants on the bottom of her correspondence now. The Lord has absolutely blessed that company that she formed. And now she employs more people who can also put at the bottom, who, who can put at the bottom of their correspondence, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. What stops you? What stops you? Think about blessing and glorifying the Lord and being obedient to him above all. If you fear saying a simple God bless you or according to God's will or speaking about church or speaking your biblical beliefs, then you're allowing others to determine what you say and what you don't say. You're being silenced with our PC culture, cancel culture, It was C.H. Spurgeon who commented on this passage that he thought Jesus emphasized three things and perhaps they would bless you as well and give you strength and encourage you in your life. Three things that were emphasized and Jesus emphasized these things to the Apostle Paul. The presence of Jesus, the sympathy of Jesus, and the cooperation of Jesus. Know that the Lord is with you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He is with you, and as he comes alongside you, of each and every one of you, he is your strength. What he allows, he allows. But don't let anyone or anything ever muzzle you, because that's exactly what we allow the world around us to do when we stay silent and we are fearful 
of speaking the name of Jesus and telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. Find ways in which you can speak and speak to all who have an ear the name of the Lord because time is short, the day is coming when the church will be raptured and things will get, if you think they're bad now, they will get much, much worse. How do I know? Because it says it in the word. That's how we know. And so Jesus told Paul one thing. Keep speaking. Do not be silent and do not be afraid. He stayed there a year and a half teaching. So Paul was occupied to witness and he was occupied to teach. But the occupied also faced opposition. In verse 12, it says, But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But but since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. So Gallio could care less. (laughs) They they beat up Sosthenes and he just turned a blind blind eye. Now, it could have been that Jesus knew that Paul was about to face opposition. You know, Jesus being the Son of God, he knows all things, past, present, and future. He knows it perfectly. He knows it as if it's already happened because for him it's already happened. And so Jesus coming to Paul in that vision in the, in the, in the night could have been because he knew that Paul was about to face opposition. But he encouraged him saying, hey, listen. Uh, I am with you. No one will attack to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. Keep that in mind as we consider what Gallio said. But he encouraged Paul in a vision to not be afraid. Regardless. And just keep speaking. But either way, Paul was still attacked. And he was brought before the tribunal and accused of persuading people to worship God. And this is key. Contrary to the law, contrary to the rules, contrary to policy, contrary to, and you just fill in the blank, whatever it is, the statutes, the the things that we follow here, we're, you know, the Apostle Paul was speaking contrary to that, and he's really stirring the pot. He's really shaking things up, and people are changing. So they brought him before the tribunal. In other words, their conversion of people's souls right, was making a difference in the way they lived their lives, and they didn't like it. Maybe it was because um, maybe statue sales were down. It could have been, because remember, there was a lot of idolatry. Okay? Aphrodite's and all the, the rest of them. The goddess of of sex, or the goddess of the sun, or the god of sun, or the god of healing, any of those, right? 
Maybe it was because prostitution was experiencing a loss of revenue. Maybe their bars didn't have any, as many patrons as they did at one point before that. Well, the Apostle Paul, he came in and uh, he's turning the world upside down, right? He's causing all these problems. You know, all, all these places now, they are without customers. And, and these temples of all of these goddesses and gods, you know, they're, 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 they're not frequented as much as they were before. All of these places. You know, if you want to change things, then spread the gospel. And as people's hearts change to the Lord, as we have new creatures in Christ, with new hearts, new desires, uh, new perspectives, things change. Our community changes. Our neighborhoods change. Our families change. Our workplaces change. I have seen departments, I have seen workplaces change because one person comes to Christ and all of a sudden you go back and like a bunch of people like, Oh, so you all are having a Bible study during your lunchtime, right? It's awesome. It's just like, and you know what impact that has? That has an impact in the family. It has an impact in your neighborhood. It has an impact everywhere you go, and it's far-reaching. At any rate, when falsely accused by the Jews to the Roman authorities, Paul was, a, he was about to speak, and that's what we see here. Paul was about to speak, and then Gallio spoke for him. Remember that Jesus said, for I have many in this city who are my people. Well, if God can turn the heart of a king, he can certainly turn his heart. And this man spoke up. So Paul was about to speak. You can just imagine that. And here comes Gallio and he speaks for him. And it was all turned around on the Jews. Even Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, was beaten and humiliated before, before the tribunal and before all of his, his Jewish counterparts. In other words, Gallio thought this was a waste of time and the Jews paid dearly for it. But get this, you know, I just spoke of Crispus and I was getting ahead of myself and I was thinking of Sosthenes. And, but remember, Chris, Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. So who is this Sosthenes, right? Well, he was now the new ruler of the synagogue there in Corinth. You see, Crispus had come to faith. Perhaps he stepped down. Sosthenes came in, and he was the ruler of the synagogue at that time. But please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. I just want to read this first verse here. Because the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he writes, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother, ah, Sosthenes. There he is. You see, a man occupied by the word and not the world will have a great impact on the world and those in it. You see, this man, Sosthenes, Crispus came to faith. Sosthenes came to faith. These were, these were the head guys of the synagogue. These were the rulers of the synagogue. He had, this man Sosthenes was beaten because he had falsely accused Paul. Paul stood his ground. He stood on the truth. And we see both Crispus and Sosthenes come to faith. Amazing, right? The world does take notice when a man stands with Christ. Even though the man may be hated, he is a man who stands for something and a man who stands in the truth. Though he faces opposition, 
Rest assured that the Lord is with them. And quite frankly, that is enough. Occupied to witness, occupied to teach, in the occupied face opposition. As the word resides in us and we reside in the word, we will be given to testifying of our salvation by what we speak and how we live. And we will teach others how to live their lives to the glory of God, according to the word of God, no matter the opposition. I leave you with three verses found in John 16 and in John 15. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus was speaking and he says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is a picture of the Apostle Paul as he's abiding in Christ. And he's doing these things. This is all just um, evidence of the fruit that the Lord was producing through the Apostle Paul. And Jesus says, I the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You are a man, a woman, I pray, who is occupied with the word. As you're occupied with the word, the Lord can do some amazing things in and through you. But make sure that you're not occupied by the world, but that you're occupied completely overwhelmed with the word of God. Because it is that person who, who stands, who is deeply rooted in the word. And from the word, it'll bear much fruit. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us, Lord, reminding us that whatever it is that is our occupation, whatever it is that we seem to identify with, Lord, that we ought to be, instead of occupied by any of that, Lord, that we are to be occupied by your word. That, Lord, by doing so, we would reflect a love that we have for us that we've come to know first in Jesus Christ. That we express that to others by not only living lives consistent with salvation, but we also would speak salvation to others. That we would continually point people to Jesus Christ. For your word tells us, as Jesus said, I am the word and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. For if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says, we shall be saved. And so that's what I pray this morning, that we would not only know salvation, but Lord, that we would walk it out in our lives to your glory. Again, that we would be overwhelmed in a good sense with the word and that it would be reflected in our lives. Thank you, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.